Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, John and Steve are tied up downstairs. The uh, studio is locked, and the on-air light is on, and we're taking over Money MD today. This is it, man. This is the two of us. Yeah, but seriously, it's quite an honor that we get to be on the show today, just right. you and me. Yeah, we're very excited about today's topics. We have a lot of good articles, good questions, and we're going to be diving in shortly. That's right, and it's been quite an interesting week. The Olympics just wrapped up. We're about a month away from football. Football, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Cooler weather's right around the corner as well. Oh, I'm ready for that. And school's starting for a lot of people? Yeah, college. Uh, one of my roommates just went back to college today. So today, first day of school, very excited. Uh, you know, different semester with all the things going on with, with health and COVID and stuff. But, you know, adjusting to that new normal, I think a lot of people are. So, yeah, fall's right around the corner, and we are looking forward to that. That's right. And we have a lot of interesting topics today. First, we're going to be talking about charitable giving and tax strategies to consider. An uh, article from NerdWallet. So it'll be really interesting to see how we can have a win-win situation. Yeah. Then also looking uh, for the second article at um, an inheritance. So you, you've inherited an IRA, a Roth IRA, or a traditional IRA. What should you do now? And so that's from Kiplinger. Very good article. A lot of data, a lot of research. Um, from the SECURE Act that we'll be talking about. So yeah, stick around for that. So two great articles. But by the way, I'm Ryan Borders, and I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro. Yeah, my name is Matthew Travis. I'm also a certified financial planner uh, here at the firm. Yeah, and we're excited to have you guys listening to us today. Uh, we, we have a new episode every Friday afternoon, so check us out on moneymd.net or on iTunes or even Spotify every Friday um, from anywhere in the world. You can also check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us and ask us your questions and link to our previous shows. Yeah, so let's start with the financial fact of the week. So listen to this, Matthew. Um, the personal savings rate in the U.S. Uh, was at a record 33.8% of April of 2020, so last year, um, okay. as Americans reacted to the COVID-19 pandemic outbreak. Um, the personal savings rate in the U.S. was 9.4% in June of this year, wow. so 2021. So before the pandemic, the personal savings rate was about 10% uh, during the uh, just of one month since 1993. Yeah, so it's just dropped tremendously from last year. And, and really the question underneath that is why? And I think you can say, well, you know, people during the pandemic were scared. I mean, rightly so. They, we didn't know how long this was going to last. This could have lasted a long time for that very isolated event that took a couple months for us to kind of figure out where we were. And so, you know, why people have reduced their savings now, you may be able to say, well, people are thinking it's only going to be positive going forward when in fact, you know, emergencies, uh, life events, you know, societal impacts happen pretty much every year. And so really what we would encourage people is, okay, man, continue to save, you know, build up an emergency fund, get out of debt, save for retirement, not, not hoarding money, but nonetheless saving a proper amount, not just during a pandemic, but just every year being prepared for the unexpected to come. Yeah, that's right. And even when COVID passes, there's always going to be right. another COVID, yeah, something exactly right. different. And so you want to make sure you are saving, have a proper emergency fund, are saving for retirement. That's so right. you do want to make a good financial plan. So that's a great financial fact of the week. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that leads us to our first topic, Matthew. So what we're going to talk about today is charitable giving and tax strategies to consider. So this comes from NerdWallet. Um, really, uh, 
obviously charitable giving is a good thing, but also saving on taxes mm-hmm. is also yeah. a good thing. So really to make it a win-win situation, we're going to talk about a few things you can do when you're charitably inclined also help with your taxes. Um, so you want to take advantage of these tax saving uh, strategies when you're giving. Uh, so kind of just opening up, you know, giving during your lifetime. Tax-wise, you can score two benefits uh, when you're being philanthropic during your lifetime. So one is tax deductions as well as estate reduction. We're going to dive into both of those today. Um, so you also have the opportunity to witness the impact uh, just made by your generosity while also saving on your taxes. Yeah, just impacting people. I mean, just impacting what your money can do for people just serves people well. That is a huge benefit that kind of softer side. We won't discuss that too much in this article, but that is that is big deal. Yeah, you could say that the, the people impact is even bigger than the financial impact. Yeah, that's right. So. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, you know, some of the financial impacts we'll talk about today, one of them being, you know, consolidating donations into high income years. There may be times when, uh, you know, you want to be philanthropic and you consider your situation and maybe your income's higher this year than it is in prior years. Maybe you've received a big bonus. Maybe you've received an inheritance. Maybe, um, you know, you happen to sell a business. Instead of doing smaller annual donations, you could consider combining years worth of donations into one year to receive the the larger deduction. Um, With the higher standard deduction brought about by the tax uh, cuts and jobs acts, um, you know, it means that most taxpayers don't get over that standard deduction every year for their charitable deduction. So combining years um, can be a really good strategy to get the additional tax benefits uh, from giving to charities. Great point. Another thing to look at is when you have uh, highly appreciated assets. So if you donate those, so you know if you have assets with high appreciated, a great deal, you know that have over time really appreciated, right. such as securities, uh, real estate's another one that comes to mind. Um, selling them will generate a high capital gains tax liability, which surprises a lot of people. You know, you might have owned something for 10 years and you realize you owe a lot in taxes. So donating these assets to qualified charitable organizations is just one way um, to circumvent capital gains taxes for you. At the same time, you can lock in an income tax deduction for the fair market value of the asset. That's Mm -hmm. another way to save. Um, the charity receiving the donation will not own, will not be responsible for paying capital gains tax. So that's pretty cool. Um, and they're going to benefit from the fair market value of your gift as well. So another perk of giving highly appreciated assets is reducing the size of your overall taxable estate. So we'll cover a little bit of this today, but estate tax planning is important. Uh, so kind of in the higher income range, people have a lot of assets, mm-hmm. um, but you can pay up to 40% in estate taxes. So trying to remove some of those assets for your estate plan can really help you save a big tax burden. Yeah, and we're not trying to, to evade taxes, but what we're trying to do is to use the laws that our government has given us to to wisely steward the money that we've been entrusted with is, is ultimately what we're trying to do. That's right. Another uh, option, kind of going along, Ryan, with what you're saying is a donor advised fund. And we, we recommend this, gosh, to most clients yeah. who, who are charitable inclined. And, and what you can do with this fund is you can donate cash, but like Ryan said, another way is to donate appreciated assets. So if you've held a single security, we have, we just saw a client, they had a single security that they've owned since the eighties. Oh, wow. And this, this stock, this company, has tripled in value since then. I mean, it is incredible to look at the basis and to look at the gain. So if they were to sell that, you're right, they would have a, a very high capital gain. But you can donate that to this donor-advised fund. You can donate it in one year, and then you can actually distribute 
to the charity of your choice years prior and you can determine how much you give each year so again consolidating you know your your donations into one year get a tax break this year and then distribute the funds years prior is a really good way to use a donor advised fund yeah that's pretty cool you can you know manage an account and then have the freedom to choose who you want to send right. it to so yeah. uh, donor advised funds are, are pretty cool very neat um, you might want to check that out if you've never heard of one another thing you can do is roll donations over to a charity so this is for like retirees with traditional IRA accounts you know you're required to take a minimum distribution at 72 um, some individuals may find themselves um, in a pretty high tax bracket. And, you know, when you take that RMD, you're going to pay a lot in taxes on it. So those who don't really need their RMD, um, you know, if you're funding your lifestyle with like Social Security and pension, That's you right. might want to consider um, doing a qualified charitable donation. Yeah. And one just thing to add in there real quick is that the, it's called a QCD is what we're talking about. So the QCD um, it is actually above the standard deduction. If you look yeah. mathematically, because essentially what you're doing is you're not reporting that income on your income when you take a distribution. It's going directly to the charity. So you're able to keep the cash in your checking account that you would have given to the charity. So in essence, it is stacked on that tax benefit is stacked on top of your standard deduction. So yeah, what Ryan's talking about is a really, really good thing. Yeah, and that QCD allows you to roll your RMD directly over to a qualified charity, and you can do up to 100000 each year. Wow. And you can reduce uh, your tax income, uh, taxable income for the year um, by excluding that gift. So that's a really good thing. Uh, another thing to consider is leaving behind your legacy. So making philanthropic gifts through your will or trust is a common way that's to good. give. Um, and make an impact. So though you won't really, you know, be receiving the double tax benefit of gifting during your lifetime, a major benefit of a charitable bequest is that you can ensure your personal financial needs are covered before giving the assets away to others. Yeah. So go, giving through your will, giving through a trust is, is, you know, not taken advantage of as much as, you know, you may think, but that is a really good way to continue to give after, after you're, you're gone. Um, another way is to give your retirement plan to charity. So it's looking at, you know, your different accounts, looking at the taxes associated with them. And let's say you have two accounts. You have a traditional IRA from your old 401k and you have a brokerage account. If you want to give a certain amount to charity and you want to give a certain amount, let's say, to your heirs, then the better tax efficient way to do it would be to, to donate your pre-tax monies to the charities would be to actually put them as the beneficiary so that they inherit quote-unquote pre-tax monies that individuals would be taxed on but nonprofits would not and then you would be able to um, you know leave your after-tax monies your Roth IRA your brokerage account your your cash in your bank to your heirs that would then receive currently a stepped up basis on your brokerage accounts, but they would receive a minimal taxable account. So that, you know, again, with the estate planning, with the will, with beneficiaries, using tax efficient ways of who you're giving to um, can be a really good strategy. Yeah, we're going to cover because there's some new rules with inherited IRAs. We're going to cover that in the next article, um, next topic. And so, but you know, charities are exempt from taxes. So leaving non-Roth retirement assets to a qualified charitable organization and other assets to your heirs can help reduce your heirs tax bill. Mm -hmm. um, leaving a portion of your retirement plan to charity can help secure some tax benefits uh, for your heirs down the road. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then finally, we'll cover this lightly, um, blended lifetime and legacy giving. So charitable trusts can really help make an impact on both during your lifetime and afterwards. 
really depends on your situation. This is for really high income earners. Um, but there are really two choices that people look at. It's charitable remainder trusts and charitable lead trusts. If you have any questions, feel free to always reach out to us. We can dive in deeper with those. Um, and as always, you know, you if you do want to look at giving strategies and helping with your taxes, make sure you sit down with like a CPA, with an advisor, just to understand your situation and what you want to do so you make the best decision for you and your family. So it's a great article just to a help. Really good article. I love a good win-win. That's right. <laughs> And so that leads us to our next uh, topic, or the the question of the week. That's right. And this question is a very good question. And we actually just had this question this week. Met with a client and um, starting a job, and they have options between, um, you know, a, a pension plan and a four hundred three b. And so the question is uh, this: My employer has two different retirement options. One is a defined benefit plan. And one is a defined contribution plan. What typically is the best one to go with? And and to answer just very briefly what those two are, the defined benefit is looking specifically more at the pension and the defined contribution is the 403B, 401K, 457, those types of plans. Yeah, we see this with a lot of state employees. And with a lot of questions, um, it depends, That's right? right. <laughs> it's never it's always just nuanced. one answer. Yeah. Um, the One of the big things, especially with the defined benefit plan, is if you plan on being there a long time, mm-hmm. um, you want to understand the vesting schedule of the defined benefit plan. If you're kind of up in the air about how long you're going to be there, then the defined contribution plan might make more sense to you. Yeah. And, and an, another thing is, you know, looking in, there's an assumed rate of return in the defined benefit plan that yeah. you can calculate. Okay. If I put in this much per month, you know, that's, that's, I have to put in mandatory for this pension plan. If they're basically estimating this benefit in the future, what is the assumed interest rate per year that they're assuming? You know, sometimes it can be good. Sometimes it could be generous. The matching plan definitely is generous most of the time. But, you know, understanding that assumed rate of return over the next 40 years compared to what the stock market can do can be very drastic. So even though there may be a, a higher match on the defined benefit plan, the defined contribution plan may be a better option given that you can invest in securities that over time can make more than that assumed rate of return. Yeah, the big thing here is you really just want to understand both options. You want to really read right. through it, make sure you understand it before you make a decision. Um, so it's always good to sit down and, and work with an advisor on that um, just before you decide what you want to do. Yeah, really, really good question. Though. Yeah, great question. And that leads us to our second topic. Yeah, and this is um, you know looking at inherited IRAs, and this is from Kiplinger. Um, really good article, but it's looking, so we have a lot of clients, a lot of people that come in asking questions, Hey, I've inherited an IRA. Now what? So you've inherited an IRA. Um, you know, unfortunately you cannot leave the money in the original IRA opened by the deceased person. There are several ways you can receive the funds and this goes for both traditional and Roth IRAs. Um, but your options will be narrowed depending on who you are. Uh, failure to handle an inherited IRA properly can lead to significant penalties from the IRS, which we don't, no one likes penalties. Um, but understanding what type of beneficiary you are under the new SECURE Act, uh, what options are avail- available to you and how they fit into your tax and investment profile is very important. So here's what you need to know with inheriting an IRA. Yeah, the first thing you really want to do is get a grasp on what you've inherited. That's really important. So you want to see everything, you know, you want to know, hey, is this a traditional IRA or is it a Roth IRA? Because there's a lot of differences between the two and and what's required from you. So unlike Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs require the owner to take a minimum withdrawal 
when they turned 72. So because of that, the original account owner, if they were older than 72 when they passed, uh, you need to make sure that the required minimum distribution uh, was met for that year that they passed. That's something that could be easily overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you face potential you know, significant penalties from the IRS. Um, also, identify when the account was open, uh, yeah. which could exempt you from taxes later on if you inherited a Roth IRA. And determine if you're the sole beneficiary or if it's shared with others, because that changes a lot of how it's distribu- distributed and a lot of the different rules. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, so yeah, getting a grasp on the account is really important, but then also taking stock of your own financial position. Um, you know, do you need the money now or can you keep it in there to grow more in the future? Uh, we'll talk about specifically if you're a spouse or a non-spouse in a minute, but it's going to determine, you know, how much you can take, if you can take it without penalty, how long you can take it, RMDs and such stuff like that. But yeah, understanding your own financial position, uh, is very important. Also asking, which this may be a strange question, Ryan, but asking, do you need the money? Yeah. Which, you know, most people are like, uh, yeah, yeah. I need, <laughs> what do you mean? Do I, yes, if I'm inheriting it, I want it. But you know, the next question is, well, you know, maybe there is a co-heir, maybe, you know, it's a sibling, they're my sister or brother and they're maybe less off than I am and I don't need the money and I'm able to give it to them. I'm able to disclaim this inheritance to let it pass more tax efficiently, but also just to help the other heir. So, you know, understanding your situation, understanding the options you have as far as the other heirs involved, it can get complicated, but you know, ultimately it, um, it is very important to know these, know these things. Yeah. Another thing to look at is, Hey, you know, spousal heirs can transfer the funds to a new IRA. So it's a little different, you know, if you're married, that's right. There's a little bit different rules here. So, um, what we call a spousal transfer, um, all spousal heirs have the option to transfer the assets from the original owner's account to their own existing or a new IRA. So that's a pretty big deal. Um, you can complete the spousal transfer even if the deceased person was over the age of 72 and taken RMDs from a traditional IRA. Uh, with your with your existing or new account, you can delay RMDs until the spouse, the person who's inheriting, turns 72. Um, you can also complete this type of transfer with a Roth. Uh, since these accounts don't require RMDs, you don't need to worry about withdrawals. Um, this option is good for beneficiaries who are younger than their deceased spouses mm-hmm. and don't need the income yet. So that's really important. Um, yeah, and that, that's a key fact, and, and we'll read that next, but it's really, if you don't need the income, then basically you can treat it as your own. That's right. And um, However, if you would like to withdraw the funds from the new IRA before you reach the age 59 and a half, you will be subjected to that 10% early withdrawal penalty, so you want to understand that. <clears throat> that's right, yeah. So do you need the money now if you're a spouse? Do you need it now? Uh, do you need it later? What Again, understanding your situation is important. Um, you know, another way you can do this, which this is very interesting that they left this, but spousal heirs can also do a stretch IRA. So, um, you know, you can either transfer it to your own IRA, which then it's treated as if you're, it's yours, which means if you're 50, you can't distribute it without the 10% penalty, or you can transfer, um, the traditional IRA or Roth IRA that you've inherited from your spouse into an inherited IRA. Keep in mind, this is different from that treating it as your own. Uh, once you've inherited, once your inherited IRA is set up, um, you can distribute the funds in one of two ways. And the first is the stretch IRA, which is based on your life expectancy, where you take annual distributions based on the amount of 
time the IRS has projected you to live. So this is a way, and there's one more way I'll let you speak to you, Ryan, in just a minute. But these two ways are the ways that if you need money now and you're younger than 59 and a half, to roll it into an inherited IRA gives you access to those funds without the 10% penalty. So again, the two main types, transfer it into your own. If you're younger than 59 and a half, you shouldn't use the funds or transfer it to an inherited IRA if you need to access the funds then. Yeah, overall, you know, this option best suits beneficiaries older uh, than the deceased person since delaying RMDs from the inherited funds until the deceased spouse would have turned age 72. Um, if you want to take out distributions before you reach age 59 and a half, you will not incur uh, the 10% penalty like the spousal yeah, transfer. Right. Uh, your transfer can continue to grow tax deferred. Um, the second option is that 10-year method where you have to withdraw all the funds within a decade. That's the new rule. Mm-hmm. Um, most spousal heirs tend not to choose this option. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, and so spouses, you know, two options, non-spouses. This is where you have limited choices. The SECURE Act of 2019 did eliminate that stretch IRA for non-spousal heirs who inherit the account uh, basically after January of 2020. Uh, the funds from the inherited IRA must be distributed within 10 years of the original owner passing away. This is very key. This is nuanced, but um, let's say you're the heir of an inherited IRA, uh, or you inherit an IRA. Let's say you pass away and you give it to your heirs. That next generation still has to distribute the funds within the 10 years of the original IRA owner. So it doesn't restart 10 years. So just kind of nuanced, but that's important as well. Um, so yeah, this this applies to... Um, regardless of whether the deceased person died before or after uh, the age of 72. There are exceptions to these non-spousal rules. For instance, if the heir is a minor, disabled, um, you know, there are different distribution rules that you can basically examine and say, hey, maybe it's not a 10-year distribution because they're seven years old. Um, You know, if they're disabled, if they have a special need, there's different ways to avoid that 10% distribution rule um, for um, for, for these errors. But, you know, be wary of withdrawing too much in one year because you could go into a higher tax bracket. Um, so yeah, just making sure you understand, you know, these different options is, is important. Yeah. And obviously you could take that money in a lump sum, but like you said, you're going to pay taxes on it. So, uh, one thing to think about, maybe you inherit when you're in college and you're not Mm. making an income and, you know, obviously in 10 years from now, statistics would say you're probably going to be making more money. So you do want to plan for your future income, uh, make sure you're making a wise tax decision. Um, and those, you know, who inherit a Roth, you know, you should not have to pay taxes on the distributions if the original account was open at least five years ago. Or a conversion from a traditional IRA to a Roth happened at least five years ago. So we're going back to the Roth five-year yeah. rule that a lot of people forget it's about. The same, same for inherited IRAs? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so you want to see when the original account was open and determine whether the portion of the distribution will be taxable or mm. not. You know, obviously withdrawals from the other types of IRAs, including a traditional SEP, simple IRAs are fully taxable. So you just want to make sure you understand the tax consequences for each type of accounts, but be on the lookout for that five-year rule with even on inherited IRA. Yeah, that's that's important for the Roth IRA. Um, you know, and one just one last thing as we're wrapping up this article is uh, there's no RMD for each of the 10 years for inherited IRAs. Correct. Now it is, you can take a 10th of it every year for the 10 years, or you could take 50% the first year, you could take all of it the first year, or you could take none of it until year 10 and then take a lump sum. So 
different distribution schedules that you can take. It's kind of nice, but also can, you know, can, yeah, it can stick up on you. Because if the markets do what they've done historically, if you wait till you're 10, you can have a a sizable amount. Yeah. And that last year you have a big tax bill. Yeah. Careful. Be, you know, thinking through, okay, over the next 10 years, what's the income for our family going to be like? How can we understand this? Talking with someone who knows this is, is very important as well. So one could say having a good financial plan. That is a great. That's you always great. want to be planning. That's what, right. What you get with inheritance, also with tax strategies and giving. You're thinking. That's right. Um, always try to have a good plan in place. Great, great topic. And that leads us to our prescription of the week. So listen to this, Matthew. Interest rates are still really low. Um, you know, it's in the 2.9% range for a 30-year mortgage right now and below 2.5% for a 15-year. So, you know, if you are more than 1% of this um, with your current mortgage, you might want to consider refinancing. Yeah, and it's interesting looking back even, you know, at the 80s, you know, when you and I yeah. were, uh, you know, walking around. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> but didn't exist. When, um, you know, back in the 80s, you know, the interest rates, uh, you know, were in the 10 to 12% range for houses. And that was just, wow. that was normal. That was, that was what people expected. Um, you know, interestingly enough, in 2011, we did the same exact prescription of the week and the numbers were, what, four and a half percent? Yeah, four and a half for a 30 year. If you had over four and a half percent interest rate, we would say, hey, you know, four and a half percent is pretty good rate. Let's think about refinancing and get it lower. But now it's at, I mean, two and a half percent for, for 15 year is, is just incredible. So, you know, we are recommending pretty much to every person that comes in, if you're going to stay in your house longer than that two to three year time frame, and your interest rate is over that three and a half percent range, three and a half to four percent, you should really consider refinancing. Yeah. And I'm telling a lot, all my clients, really, this is one of the number one priorities in your financial plan right now, because it is a little time sensitive. Right. We don't know when it's going to change, but it is something that inevitably will probably rise sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And so you do want to make sure, hey, if I can save, especially those interest payments, money that's not going back to the house, that's huge. And if you can save and, you know, get a couple hundred bucks back into your budget every month, that's huge for your financial plan. So you want to take advantage of this moment, try to save money, try to save on how much you're paying in interest. It can really help over the next 30 years with your overall finances. Yeah. And just a quick calculation. I mean, if you have a $250,000 remaining mortgage, and you save one percent. That's twenty five hundred a year just on interest. It's the, it's it's not serving anything. It's just you know paying this higher interest rate. So you could save twenty five hundred a year for the next ten years, however much you have remaining on your mortgage. And so again, you know, just rethinking this or you know at least considering this is a very good financial plan. Exactly. We talk about here, it's always better to be paid interest, not be paying interest, yeah, right? And good, so right? if we can always reduce all the debt, you know, especially consumer debt, but even in our mortgage, if we can reduce that interest rate and help save and then put more money back into things like the market and earn interest, um, that's always a better option that's for right. you, uh, for your financial plan. So I guess, Matthew, we should probably go let John and Steve out of, of the locked room. Uh, let them uh, know we're off there. Yeah, it's almost lunchtime. You know, they've been locked up for, you know, about 30 minutes. So we probably should let them go. Um, but thanks for letting us join everybody today. We, we really enjoyed this opportunity. So this has been this week's edition of Money MD. You know, tune in next week on MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our website, moneymd.net, and send us your questions. We love to just hear people's questions and answer them on the air. 
um, or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. Take care. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.